One of the first youth ministers in the United States, death and resurrection, and a Spirit and Spire exclusive. Dr. Brian Reynolds is on this week's episode of Spirit and Spire, starting right now. Broadcasting from the Cathedral of the Assumption in Louisville, Kentucky, this is Spirit and Spire. And now, here is your host. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Spirit and Spire. My name's Brian Kane, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, John Soule. Hey, everyone. And Eric Huff. Howdy. And we are very blessed to be joined today by the Chancellor of our Archdiocese of Louisville, also the Chief Administrative Officer. He's been on Archdiocesan staff for 30 years, and a, a little-known fact about him is that he is also one of the first youth ministers in the country. Maybe we'll get more into that. And he also holds degrees from Fairfield University, Fordham University, and a, P, a, a, a doctor of education from Spalding University. We're very excited today be, to be joined by Dr. Brian Reynolds. Dr. Reynolds, thank you for being here. Glad to be here, Brian. Thank you, gentlemen. Be with you all. You yeah. Going to have a great episode for you guys, and so we're going to start the first segment, as we often do, uh, to go back in time and talk a little bit uh, about growing up and your childhood and and what were some of those early experiences that shaped who you are. Maybe before you go there, though, give us a little context for for now. We kind of did your academic and career credentials, but would you tell us a little bit about your family today, Um, and then we'll go back in time. Oh, my family today is probably more important than my family history. (laughs) Um, My family today, uh, my wife and I have been married for over 41 years. Congratulations. Uh, We have uh, two uh, grown children in their their late 20s, early 30s. I have a grandson uh, who is a product of my son and his wife's marriage there. Um, So that's my immediate family here. I have family throughout the country beyond that, which we can get into too. But my my family today is my wife, my two kids, my grandson, and my daughter-in-law. Excellent. So now you're in Louisville, but I know life didn't start here. So would you mind taking us back to childhood and tell us a little bit about what do you remember about growing up? Well, that's that when you when you're past your mid 60s, yeah, it takes a while to we run those tapes, but I'll, but I'll try. <laughs> um, OK, uh, I grew up in a, a large Irish Catholic family in the New York area. I actually was born in Jersey, New Jersey. We just call it Jersey back there. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up for some of my grade school years in New York area, New York. Uh, outside the city. And then most of my junior high, high school, college was all in Connecticut. So I always think of Connecticut is more where I grew up. But I came, I was one of nine children. I have seven sisters and one brother. Wow. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm uh, number six eldest male. So I have five okay. older sisters and <laughs> wow. two younger sisters, younger brother. But that was fun. It, it was an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you know, that's a um, uh, long time ago, but, but we grew up in a um, very large uh, Irish Catholic household and many things. Because you have that many, you don't have the memories that people have uh, in some other places because, you know, we'd, we didn't go anywhere together. We couldn't all fit in the car. Uh, you know, <laughs> there wasn't no, you know, and um, we just did things um, in the neighborhood. That's what wow. we continued to do. And, and there's a 20-year span between my youngest sister and my oldest sister. So it was kind of mixed out the way. My parents have long since deceased and gone to God, I pray. And, and, um, but they left a, a wonderful heritage of, of, um, of uh, men and women, I think, as their children. And, and that's my family. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that. Are there any, uh, when you think of your parents, uh, are there any kind of 
words or phrases or life lessons uh, that they left you with from those early years? My goodness, that's a hard question. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 know, I know enough to know you're shaped by your upbringing yes. and you're shaped by our early lessons. Um, uh, I think of myself now more as a parent and grandparent myself than thinking about where some of this came from. But every once in a while, I hear myself using mm -hmm. one of my parents' voices, particularly <laughs> as a grandparent even now okay. um but beyond that so so yeah we, we it was um uh we had um lots of family rituals um and, and family traditions that show up today and in, in things we do as a household and and, and our our family but um and so the lessons uh, there's many of them but but nothing no one particular one comes to mind when you say uh when you say i grew up in an irish catholic family uh I, I've got a little bit of Irish, okay. but I don't know if I would describe myself as growing up in an Irish Catholic family, but I'm thinking maybe I did and I didn't know it. So when, when you say Irish Catholic, what are some uh, traditions or, uh, you know, cultural elements that, that you think of that, that really define that for you? Well, there's some characteristics. Uh, uh, words mean a lot. So storytelling okay. and music. I have no musical talent, but many of my family members <laughs> did. Uh, but storytelling was big. Uh, later on in my life, I got to teach for five summers in the seminary in Ireland oh, in, the, in, the later, wow. in the late 80s. So that was a whole wow. other experience. So I learned when I went to Ireland, this is a long way around to your answer, um, that that storytelling and those kinds of things and putting people first um the, the we grew up where you much rather talk to someone than about someone mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's irish uh, heritage but i know that relationships talking telling stories some of the stories are even true were, were, <laughs> were, were, um, were really important to, to us um and and um uh you have to have a thick skin this is a lot of humor, uh -huh. and and if you're if you're not making someone making fun of someone, you're about to be made fun of. Okay. Uh, this, is, this is in the in the time of the household. Uh, meal time was always important. Now, with nine of us kids plus my parents, we didn't all eat together every day because mm -hmm. you couldn't. It was, it was people's schedules, life was too complicated, as I remember it. But we did eat together on Sundays. Uh, and, and special occasions, and, and those are always long rituals too. So I think there's some, like with most cultures, there's foods, there's stories, there's traditions. So those come from my Irish heritage. That's beautiful. I love uh, what you said about it's better to talk to someone than about someone because yeah. how often do we fall into the category of gossiping if we yeah. don't like someone, yeah. if we're yeah. frustrated yeah. about something, yeah. then we'd rather talk about them because it's easier to perpetuate our own frustration or whatever it is. John, you know, we, you know um, uh, people say the Irish are full of blarney. Now, blarney, <laughs> blarney is a form of truth if you're Irish. People not Irish look at it and say, that's not true. But Irish find it's a, stories of truth. Um, now, in Ireland, there's, there's a ritual. You got to kiss the blarney stone when you go to Ireland. <laughs> right. There were those who worried I was meeting my maker. But that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard different things about the Blarney Stone. I'm, yes. I'm, a, I'm a little hesitant. Hey, my brother and mom got to go to Ireland. They kissed the Blarney Stone uh, I, out yeah, of the yeah. sales immersion yeah. there you go. class That's right. his yeah. senior year. So it's fun <laughs> stuff. Don't you have to like lean out over the yeah, rock? Yeah, backwards. 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 Yeah, yeah. Crazy yeah. pictures. Right. <laughs> so what, uh, geographically, I you know, one of the things that struck me was um, talking about sort of, in some sense, being confined to the neighborhood as a family. I mean, obviously, you can go out and do things. Um, but uh, 
one of the things we talked to Archbishop Fob about on on the first episode of this podcast was because uh, he had he had grown up in in small town Louisiana and really had that very much neighborhood feel where it felt like you had a lot of different parents who were looking out for you. Um, and we asked him a question about you know how can we what what lessons can we take in the city where sometimes we feel um, maybe um, separated from our neighbors or or we don't know them as well. Um, how, how does that question strike you? What what lessons did you take from growing up in the neighborhood, and what was it like? Well, you know, the, uh, where I was uh, pre um, cell phones and mm-hmm. pre internet. So when you weren't in school, you were not in the house. You were out somewhere and playing in the neighborhood. So in my, my days in New York, which is more suburbia, um, but uh, not suburbia meaning long spaces between people, but but near the city. But there was enough neighborhood that you just had the run of it. We did stuff that I would never have let my kids do. We wouldn't go on a bike and drive or bike 10 miles. We didn't know where we were going, but that's what you did in those days. This is in the 60s. Wow. And, and then in the, uh, later on in Connecticut, likewise, uh, a little further out from people, because it was more more of a small country town where I grew, was in Connecticut, but everybody knew each other. It was one high school and, was, you know, and everybody knew everybody. Um, but it wasn't tiny town, but it was small enough that there was certain things you knew about the place. And and uh, I think I think um, uh, always doing having something to do with uh, with neighbors and friends. You just mm-hmm. did stuff. Um, you know, you didn't have to um, have something. You would make up a, a game, or you'd build something, or you would yeah. make up. The sports was always important, and so forth. Yeah. What. Um... Uh, of those, of those sort of you know early childhood, middle school years, are there uh, you know speaking of stories, are there any stories of, of moments in your childhood that that you feel um, kind of defined you or shaped who you are? Um, maybe we, maybe even in relation to the to the church and faith yeah. and things like that. That's of course yes. Um, you know we we faith was very important to us uh, as a uh, family. Went to Catholic schools. I didn't go to Catholic high schools because again, when we were to Connecticut. There weren't okay. those around where we were. But we were grade school um, uh, celebrating sacraments mm-hmm. um, were real important. Your first communion, uh, confirmation, which in those days, in my time, was like uh, fifth grade or fourth grade. So it was a lot okay. of childhood sacrament rituals. Did you pick um, a, a patron saint? I did for confirmation. Who uh, was your... Saint Peter? Nice. Wow, that's appropriate. Where God led you on that. That's not prime, the Pope. The prime, <laughs> no, the prime minister. That's, yeah. that's, uh, but the prime minister. <laughs> so, so that's where that's um, yeah that's and um, so so Saint Peter yeah. Claver. No. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 there's lots of Peters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't tell you which one. That's yeah. right. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I will tell you that I remember um, I was uh, uh, as a child as an altar boy and the competition was. To um, get out of class, this is when I was in grade school, uh, so you could do a funeral because then you didn't have to go to class, <laughs> and 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 you would hope that you'd take a long time um, to get so not so, have to so go you back to class. An experience of sadness and death over being in the classroom. So it sounds to me like no. Well, yeah, well, I didn't feel always too sad if I didn't know the person, but I was having a right, good time right. with the other altar boy. Yeah. But 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 while you know it was the it was the one thing you could do cuz again we didn't we didn't get in cars we were about I think we were about 2 miles from the church so we ride our bike to 6:30 in the morning mass if you're serving. Yeah. Um, that's what you do. And yeah. and um so so the church was a, the parish was central to our our rituals um uh uh and i still remember the churches that the church in in um 
New York, New Rochelle was the town, was a holy family. I still can remember it. I can still picture images from it. Um, uh, and and I think that that it, it was just part of your DNA, mm -hmm. really. It just is... Um, uh, Irish Catholics, as you do, it, it's a, you're in New York, and it's a very various cultural groupings that way. Uh, oftentimes, there's um, some sort of a moment um, where you kind of you you make a choice that you're gonna you're gonna practice the faith of your family, that you're gonna kind of um, continue the traditions. It, it is in your DNA, but there's a free will element as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, do you remember a moment like that or a series of moments? Like what, what time in your life do you feel like you really embraced um, faith and you decided, I'm, because obviously you went on to a career in the church. So uh, there's there's this driving passion for the Lord and for his church. So where do you think that? That was college for me. Okay. Um, um, well, I, I, well, let's jump to college so then, if, if that makes sense. If, sure, unless there's any sure. other No, I think I, 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 there, that was, a, I can still remember that. I was. I went to college. I was majoring in accounting, and hated it. I would <laughs> never would have guessed. I ended up having to use it in my professional career. Accounting is a cruel profession. Aha, uh -huh. bum. Okay, <laughs> you've been waiting me to say that all. Yeah. Day. I've been waiting my whole <laughs> life to say that. Okay. Um, and and yet my classes on religious studies were far more interesting to me. And I remember, I remember having this conversation. I guess it was about sophomore year of college, and accounting. I'm going to accountants won't like this if they hear this. Accountants were more particular about making sure the balance sheet balances and your debits and your credits are lined up. That I could do it, but I didn't like it. And I remember asking questions like, "What did the company? What were they thinking about that led them to make this decision to lose money?" And the professor said, that's not your question. Yeah. I said, yes, it is. He said, no, then you don't belong in this because that's not <laughs> your question. Wow. I was, so I was taking um, uh, religious studies classes and I still couldn't remember this. This is an interesting per personal story for me, but I was uh, a group of guys. There was five of us living in a cottage down uh, on the beach near the university in Connecticut. And we're all studying for, supposed to be studying for exams. And I was supposed to be studying for my my um, uh, counting exam, I think, but uh, but I was instead I was reading this book on what I later learned was a book on what is catechesis. Mm. I didn't I didn't know what the word meant, but it was a, it was the future of youth catechesis, early book by an early author, Zaverian brother at the time, and I was reading this book, and I was more interested in reading that book than studying for the exam, and that was an aha moment about. Wonder if there's a way to do this that you could actually do something with this. But there, I, I didn't know if there was some way to work for the church. I wasn't even in my mindset. Mm -hmm. I just knew, and but I was enjoying doing retreat work. I did some retreat work with the diocese of Bridgeport, just you know, uh, for, for helping with parish youth groups. A lot of us who are participants in the in the retreats in our high school years were coming back to staff these things. And at some point, a pastor asked me. Uh, it was about the end of my junior year of college, whether I wanted to help run their youth program in their parish. And he said, we'll call you a youth minister. What? In those days was a Protestant term. Mm. There weren't youth ministers in the Catholic Church. This is 1976. Mm -hmm. But that, there began the journey. I said yes. And uh, and it turned into a, quite a quite a, an experience in my life of organizing youth programs, learning about parish life as a parish staff member. I was a youngster. 
but but it was a very vibrant um, community in Connecticut, and I, I worked there for two years, and and that was the beginning of my career work. Um, uh, saying, oh, you, you, now, I won't even tell you about the three thousand hours I was paid for full time work <laughs> or something, but it was a, not exactly. But I was working there and going to school, and that was the beginning of that was the beginning of my youth work. And from there, I went on and ended up um, developing a, a, a work in, in youth work and, and youth catechesis and writing textbooks and writing some publications. And I wrote, um, I eventually wrote a magazine series for Religion Teachers Journal and all sorts of things over all during into the 80s. And, and in that time, um, I had my own business with some partners doing a lot of training. So I, I, so I'll, we can get into that in a minute, but that's where it began. My, my marker, my significant marker of saying, oh, there's something here was learning um, that there is a chance to serve uh, beyond uh, of just um, uh, uh, volunteering or helping. Nothing's wrong with volunteering helping, but that's where I yeah. learned that. Yeah. A potential you know, career, maybe. Well, yeah, you weren't yeah. even thinking of a career at career, that point, right, but no, a, no, job, no, a job. A job. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. It was there. Um, you mentioned a lot of writing, and I'm struck by, you know, you've got multiple degrees, and including, you know, your doctorate. Um, where do you think that love of writing came from? Is that the Irish storytelling? or? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I struggled with writing, but I've learned that people, um, I, 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 it's, it's helpful to have something people can read. And I, I, I'm not an avid reader, but I knew it was important to put stuff down so people can work with it. Mm -hmm. So... Um, um, I wrote a wrote um, a couple of pieces. My first book was called, that's to your point, "A Chance to Serve," mm. um, <laughs> uh, which was a book for uh, training youth leaders, and that's where it all began for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm struck by uh, wow. that um, that Jesus has one of the worst balance sheets in history. He, <coughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he took a, a and and sacrificed himself in an in infinite debt. Uh, that could never be repaid. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, he also had only had tw 12 kids in his youth group, and one betrayed him, one denied him, 10 ran away. So. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So, right. Well, very good. We're going uh, to take a break here. Thank you for being on uh, sure. Listening uh, with Spirit Inspired. Thank you, Dr. Reynolds, for the, the time thus far. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Brian Reynolds just after this. Hello, everyone. The Marion Center is one of Louisville's true hidden treasures. Located at 165 Sears Avenue in St. Matthews, the Marion Center is a Catholic bookstore and gift shop. It also contains a lending library, a large selection of used books and free materials, and a beautiful Blessed Sacrament Chapel. For more information, call the Marion Center at 502-899-5125. God bless. Welcome back to Spirit and Spire. Thank you for joining us. We're back with Dr. Brian Reynolds and my co-host Eric has our second segment here. All right. Thanks, Brian. Um, Dr. Reynolds, I was really struck by, uh, as someone who has half a business degree and, uh, and a whole theology degree, I've, yeah, uh, I've yeah. an associates in business that, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel, I feel that path of, uh, if sitting in my accounting class, I only wish I knew there was something else and I didn't have to go through managerial and, uh, <laughs> financial, but, um, so when we left off, you kind of talked about moving into um, ministry, uh, I guess on a professional level. But my question is, um, can you share any experiences that you've had in ministry, maybe being around the people where you've seen um, 
we call them God winks on here, but but just extreme providence or, or God working in people's lives or, or your life where you go, okay, God has revealed himself here. Um, I can kind of see what he's doing and what's going on here. I got a lot of answers to that. Yeah, I'm sure. Dude, that, well, let me let me let me uh, pick a little story up from where we left off in segment one. Sure. When I started in, in youth ministry, because it wasn't as significant who I was, but there weren't many of us, so I started uh, traveling, and so I was uh, newly married, um, uh, uh, and I was traveling. I traveled to. 49 different states, multiple countries, giving seminars for youth ministers, wow. for pastors on how to help uh, youth programs get started. I became a trainer. Um, uh, I used to teach, I mentioned before, in the uh, um, uh, seminary in Ireland. I, I um, had wonderful experiences like that. Um, saw, saw much of the country. And many of those trips, I met tremendously wonderful people. Uh, fascinating stories. Uh, people are very different as you move around uh, mm -hmm. because of the cultural difference. Life in life in a um, uh, in in, in south, southern Texas is very different than life in Portland, Maine, <laughs> uh, and and so forth. So different experiences like that. So traveling gave me the first appreciation that we're part of something much bigger. Mm -hmm. So that's one awareness I got. Um, and even even kind of a, a, a my prayer life at that time even had a little bit of a travel tone to it. I really loved sitting on an airplane, looking out the window and praying. The, 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 the images of the sky and the clouds, it was just a very, very different. And I remember a friend who wrote a, wrote a, a prayer for me um, after, as I would tell that story, uh, because it was the imagery of, of, um, of seeing things bigger than you are, uh, and the aweness of that. So, so one of God wink, or one was came out of that that traveling time, which we can connects back to my my work I, I just was doing then. Because of that, I, be, I became um, uh, very interested in how organizations started with youth work, but school systems, anyone who dealt with young people, organize themselves. And so that was um, that was what led me to get into how to use my administrative training and business training that I also ran my own business as, as a trainer with the content, which was ministry. Um, so that's a, a long answer to you, but that's yeah. a couple of things together. There. I'm, ju I'm just thinking that. whenever I'm on a plane praying, it's not what you just described sounded tranquil, peaceful, and beautiful. <laughs> Mine is like right. uh, the exact opposite, like anxiety ridden, uh, fearful, like, oh, Cry, please. Crying, baby, looking, you looking, looking out the window at how seat. small everything is and how, how far up I am going, oh, please let this thing land. I'm uh, I'm not a good flyer. So <laughs> well, perhaps I relate to you. I felt peaceful. I'll, I'll, I, think I'll, uh, I think I'll bring that to mind, though, next time <laughs> I'm flying. Now, now, part of it is I'm dating myself, but this is before for airline deregulation. So you had all this to kind of, you know, there's all sorts of planes weren't as crowded. You didn't, there no long lines to get through securities. Okay. Oh, there was always okay. a much simpler process in the 80s, <laughs> but then things changed. Uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't hear how you met your wife. You mentioned that happened in college too. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I'd that, was, love actually, to hear that, that was actually after college. Oh, that, it was oh, when, was. I, when I, oh, when yeah, I was in grad school. Sorry. And, and uh, Kathy 
and I met, believe it or not, she, she was in one of the things we ran out of the center I was part of forming, did this training around the country. She was a, um, a fledgling upcoming youth minister and joined one. Of, we had a program called an interim. It was an internship. People gave two years, kind of like the Peace Corps for youth ministry. Okay. And they would join and they live with a sponsor family. And she was one of the people. But we met the first time because she staffed the first Christian Leadership Institute which I piloted in the summer of 79, and she was on the staff board. So and that met. is now a nationally yeah, yeah. used, uh, or maybe internationally used, internationally youth used ministry yeah. program. Yep, and yep. I knew you would help write that. Um, sorry, contextualize sorry. a little bit, because I, I missed. Um, so w- did you say that you, like a lot of this youth ministry travel and work was a part of your master's degree that you were no, working let on me, yeah, yeah, there's a um, lot of stuff there. Yeah. You're, you're, you're going back in my history, which makes my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but after after college, I was working in Paris to start this center to do training of youth ministers, writing textbooks, writing articles, and we were based out of uh, New Jersey uh, while I was working on my master's, and so we okay. did master's okay. work. We did that. Also taught briefly at a all girls Catholic high school. Okay, um, the, the uh, Sisters of Charity of Convent Station, cousins of the Sisters of Charity here in Louisville, um, and. Um, and in that context of, of, uh, of getting this center writing and I started in this writing I was doing and traveling I was doing this where um, we wrote CLI and then I met Kathy okay. and so forth. So we married in 81. So what so degrees did you get? What was your undergrad? Undergraduate ended up being a, a, my, uh, it's a degree in, in um, religious studies with a minor in accounting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and with more, more that is a fun marriage. marriage. <laughs> and yeah, then, I, master. then I had a master's in religious education okay. uh, from Fordham uh, in New York. Uh, uh, and th- those were the highlight days when there was a lot of people studying religious education. The field was, was, was uh, emerging. Um, uh, remember that before the s- 70s, there weren't uh, people working as DREs and youth ministers in those positions in the church. There mm. weren't those. So I was part of that early group of people coming out of that time. So I started working in my master's in 79, 80. Okay. 80 so that's where I did that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That, that helped uh, clarify. Mm-hmm. And so when did you meet Kathy? Uh, 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 probably in 79, 79. Um, when I was okay. doing that program. Okay. And, and, and we were in New Jersey at the time, and that's okay. where she was from. Very good. Yeah. All right, cool. thanks. That helped. Sure. All right. So uh, we kind of see this path, and uh, you're working in ministry. You're writing programs that still exist to uh, yep. to this yeah, day that's internationally. Right. That's right. That's right. Um, awesome. That's right. So what was the path, uh, I guess, to to get you from there to Louisville? That's um, a great question. I think is, uh, and and maybe maybe that's too broad a jump. I don't know. No, but. actually, I could do that. That uh, as a that's that's one. I have three of your God winks. Okay. okay. <laughs> the second one is in this story. I like yes. that. Okay. So I was traveling literally about 180 days a year. Wow. Giving seminars, uh, uh, speaking to thousands. I was, you know, I was uh, teaching the seminary in the summer in Ireland or different places in this country. Uh, I was writing materials. But part of what I was learning wasn't just the art of youth work or catechetics, but about how to organize things mm-hmm. and set those up. Plus I have my own business, so I had a little bit of business doing this. When you kind of said that was something you noticed during your accounting degree, yeah, you, even you well, wanted to ask the questions, questions, why did we lose this money right, rather than right. just that we did so lose So this little nonprofit right. ended up growing. We ended up with seven or eight or nine staff and, and all these things. So one of my clients, if you would, was the Archdiocese of Louisville. And I used to come here and I, those days I was doing a leadership training, uh, 
but I also was doing what would be strategic planning. We were helping the diocese, I helped this diocese organize some of its or, its, uh, its services, how to set those up. So I had known Archbishop Kelly since my early youth work days when he was based in Washington. So literally after about my 30th trip here, uh, he said, let's have lunch. And he said, how would you like to stop traveling and move to Louisville? This is 1990, um, uh, spring of 1990. And I said, well, that's a different idea. Just give up everything I did to do that. He says, well, you know, the church is changing and there's now a growing number of people. It wasn't until the 80s that a, a lay person could be a chancellor, for example, yeah. and uh, some of the stuff we're doing. So he said, well, would you like, would you be willing to come here and, and take some of what you've learned there, but do it for uh, an archdiocese? Mm. Mm. And to this day, I talk about Godwin because like, that sounds fascinating, and I don't know why. Because I was, I, I was a little at the top of my field, tra tra traveling a lot, been to countries in Europe, giving seminars. So I called Kathy from Louisville Airport. I said, Kathy, you want to move to Kentucky? And she <laughs> says, Where's Kentucky? <laughs> um, but, but the moment was connected to um, one of my other God wings. Was I talk about in a few minutes, which was was that invitation, and the following story to to uh, to. Uh, they, they sent me out to dinner with some local people. The first time I ever had something called bourbon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and a, a couple weeks later, Kathy came back with me to, to visit the city. And, and you were like, you got to try this bourbon. bourbon. <laughs> actually, actually, right. Uh, but the, uh, the most significant part of the story is, is I had, a, at the time, we had a two-year-old son who's now 34, so it's a long time ago. And, and, um, I thought, wow, to be more part of that experience. So, so, so we said yes in just a couple of days wow. from doing what I was focusing on, traveling, doing writing, all these things, to come and, and join the administrative staff here. I was at two jobs: strategic, strategic planning for the diocese, and doing there was the first personnel director. Um, so we wrote policies. When I came here, we were in um, fourteen buildings with forty departments. And my job was to get that more, use two words. I used efficiency and effectiveness, which is what I used to talk about, and organize it down to, to something more manageable. And so God wink number two was, God, I use, I use that imagery. God picked me up and said, it's time for something different. Get off the road and Louisville is going to be your new home. I've never wanted to leave here since. I've never been, I've got lots of opportunities. But uh, Kathy's now 27 years teaching at St. X, and our, our kids were raised here. They both live out of out of the area now, but they went through their schools here. But Louisville's home now. People say, so where's home? I say Louisville. I can't say. I'll think about Connecticut mm -hmm. or New Jersey. I know yeah. that was your questions, but but God, this is one of the most significant God-wink points was I felt God said it's time for a change. And we said yes faster than I ever would imagine. Yeah. So that's how I got to Louisville. Wow, that's wow. beautiful. There, I, I think there is something special here about rootedness and like a lot of people move here and stay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've done a decent amount of traveling, not not nearly to that level, but, um, but I am struck by how many families stay here, and then also just the, the rootedness of the families. Great that have place been to here raise a family. For a long Great time. Great place to raise a family. Well, think about the fact that, you know, you said yes so quickly. It was almost like similar to how Mother Mary was given this vision of Angel Gabriel saying this. She said yes, and then what did she do? She arose and went with haste yeah, yeah. without thinking much. And so she would have never thought of saying yes, and then 
went straight to her cousin Elizabeth, which is kind of an amazing similar I, um, I, 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 concept. There. I imagine the Blessed Mother did it with a sense of conviction. I I wonder, even a short term after that, what was I thinking? Because that <laughs> happened so fast. Yeah. But that's that's why I felt it was a God act in my life. It wasn't a. I didn't. I'm a strategic planner, thinker. I didn't take out a sheet of newsprint and list my pros and cons and come up with a list. We made our decision because this felt right for my family. And it felt like a call in all the different ways you can use that word. That here's an opportunity and to shape something because I, I really, I believe to this day, I, I love church ministry. I love the priesthood. I was never called to priesthood. I, I never felt that at all. A lot of people in church work well, they were going to be in the seminary. None right. of that was true for me. I came up through this concept of lay ecclesial ministry because I think that my baptismal call is is where my work is rooted, and that I got I've got I got the best job. I've been able to do that my whole life. Tell us a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, you know, I'm, I've only been in Louisville for about five years, so I don't. I don't have a historical context, but tell us a little bit about the diocese at that time and Archbishop Kelly and oh, sure. what, are, what are some memories um, from from those early days? Well, you know, um, uh, the, the the key the key act I think that got me here behind the scenes I learned later on was uh, we only had one auxiliary bishop in our whole history, and Bishop Charles Maloney, who's a yeah. native of the city, and he was retiring in a nine ninety, and so they know the Archbishop, the Archbishop Thomas Kelly, who's a good Dominican, knew at the time he needed to get some administrative staff, so he brought in two of us at the same time, uh, a CFO and the, to do some of the finance, and me to do administrative general administration and personnel. And so the two of us came in and that began to shape. And our job was to, to, to try to help the diocese think about what became clear over the last 30 years is our people were going to be changing. Do you know, in 1990, when I came, we only had mass in one language. Today, we have mass every weekend in seven or eight languages, depending on the weekend. That's only a 30-year period. Yeah. Totally yeah. different. Wow. Um, and, and we didn't know at the time, but we, these were the things that we were going to be paying attention. We we're going to have to think about parishes differently. We knew that the number of priests was going to be shrinking. You could just tell. The numbers were predictable. We knew that we, knew that we, we had a, a people love their parishes, but we had too many churches for the numbers of people we had. And they were all small. We built in the, in the 40s and 50s, we built a lot of 400-seat churches. And so... You know, today in, in Jefferson County, we have big churches that surround the Gene Schneider. And that's because we knew we were going to have fewer priests, but people need a place to come to worship. So these big churches we started planning along the Schneider now are uh, Gabriel's and Peter the Apostle and uh, St. Michael's and St. Patrick's Saint and St. Patrick, Bernadette. Yeah. They're all churches of C1200 because we knew we can't just build more. We had to add churches but we couldn't just build another 400 seat church. We wouldn't have the priest to support them. Mm, so, yeah. so anyway, those kinds of thought processes to plan churches, to plan, uh, we organized the, we had a, a lot of um, agencies. As I said, we had 40 of them over, over the last, uh, over the years, first five or six years here, we got it down to about 20, um, not through layoffs, but through mergers and connecting people together. And uh, my first building project was to build the Maloney Center which was a boarded up old school building when I found it, when I came in 90. St. Vincent de Paul. St. Vincent de Paul, that's right. So on the corner of Shelby and Oak. And so I, I, I found that building and we renovated it and moved, in, moved um, 
14 offices in there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the record was in a downtown office tower on 6th Street. The uh, school's office was on uh, uh, over uh, at St. Bridget uh, off, off Barstown Road. The youth office was on popular level. The uh, uh, worship office was on Bishop Lane over by the, the towers over there on the Watershed Express. All those offices came together. Um, the efficiencies of that. But what it built was a sense of church shared ministries among these agencies. And so so that's a long answer again. I got too many long answers for you. <laughs> no, but what took scary. place was yeah. the shifting um, uh, that started then, and, and that's when I was doing administration work. Uh, it was uh, nine, about 20, two, uh, 2000, um, uh, year 2000, 2001, is when uh, Archbishop Kelly asked me to accept the position name of Chancellor. And that's because what we were doing, he said, it helps to have a canonical nature to it, mm. not just a business mm. nature to it. Yeah. So I was chancellor and chief administrative officer. Neither one stop better, but it allows that. So as chancellor, every chancellor around the country has slightly different job descriptions. Mine includes planning and personnel work mm -hmm. um, and, and general administration. So, so all of those things came together during the, the, during the first 10 years I was here. So uh, earlier you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned that uh, Archbishop Kelly, when he was talking to you, you know, he said, you know, now laity can be in these roles. Um, mm -hmm. And I know you were one of the first youth ministers. Uh, how many lay chancellors do you think there were up, up, up oh, until that point? Right. Not, not many, not many 20 years ago. When I was named in 2020, uh, 20, I'm sorry, 2000, got too many twos and zeros there. <laughs> About 2000, 2001, there weren't many. Yeah. Um, just as when I first started doing general administration work in, in 1990, there weren't a lot of lay people in those positions either. Now there's many uh, around the country. Um, and and, um, uh, and were there so, national meetings? Yep, there's some national those? meetings. Or, and, and I remember going to a national meeting in 1993 for people doing general administration in dioceses in New York City. And two-thirds of them were Monsignors. And, <laughs> and, and, and you know, the rest of us, a few lay people from different mm. places in the country, uh, smaller places like here and a few others. Um, but now it's become much normative. I have counterparts of my job description in Chicago and Boston and Newark and Portland, Oregon and Minneapolis. So it's not uncommon now, yeah. but it was when I started doing it. So, yeah, I was an early youth minister. Then I was an early lay administrator. Then an early chancellor, yeah. um, as, as the story goes. So it's, it's, a, it's been, that's been a gift um, to, to um, have the opportunity to help shape some of those things, I think. It, it strikes me that, you know, because I, I, I can see... I can see all the, the, the work and the, the hard work and the enjoyment out of, um, you know, making things more efficient and effective, while at the same time it strikes me that there might be mixed emotions of being in leadership in a time when just the objective reality is that the church, in terms of membership, is sort of in decline. I think, you know, what we try to show on this show is that there's, you know, the church is growing in other ways and in terms of there's there's sort of a new fire and there's some renewal. And I feel like it seems to me that you were trying to set the stage for that. Um, but how, how do you how do you think about that? You know, you talked about priests, you know, you ha you're having to plan for there to be less priests. There's a painful aspect to that, I would imagine. Or yeah, and, and that's a that is a painful subject because people don't want to think about things uh, losing something that yeah. you were used to having. I think that that I, I love our priests of this diocese because because 
of the commitment they have to serve. But honestly, to be able to free them up of administrative duties, yeah. and it to, took us modeling that as a diocese <laughs> to help some of the pastors say, oh, let me get some business managers. When I, there were no parish business managers mm. when I was first doing this stuff. But so some of the parishes took what I was doing vis-a-vis -vis an administrator for the work with the archbishop, they could do with an administrator with their parishes. Doesn't diminish the role of the bishop, doesn't diminish the role of the pastor. It frees them up for their first priority, which is a sacramental care of their people. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, that's that. It, I don't. I. I wouldn't use. I understand what you asked, but I wouldn't use the image of planning for fewer priests. That was a reality. That's a, as a planner, I got to look at demographics. I look what's mm -hmm. happening. The seminaries are smaller. Yeah, uh, that's in God's hands. I, I don't know where God's shaping us, and I have much trust that that that's that's in God's hands. But I knew as a logistical person. Yeah. Things are going to be different for a while, and we can't just keep our head in the sand. Um, now, you, you can't do it through a mechanical thinking. You have to think it through prayer and being faithfully respond to um, what, what's, what's God's calling you. You know, uh, God calls people to ministry. God calls people to, to priesthood, mm -hmm. not, not the diocese and not planners and, and not even bishops sometimes. God calls people. <laughs> and so... What I observed um, uh, in my time as the church has changed, yeah, there's some giving up, but there's been some new births of mm -hmm. other things. There's more movements in this country of, 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 of uh, almost uh, innovation, almost um, entrepreneurial things, like your program. Uh, these, are, these are signs that, that, that the Spirit's moving through the church. Um, I miss uh, some of what, um, and I hear lots of people do, um, pack churches full of lots of people, but, uh, but, but I don't know if we've lost members or we've lost engaged members. Mm. And the difference I make there, there's a lot of people who, who say they're Catholic, who, who don't darken the doors of our churches as often as, mm -hmm. as we want them to, but, right. but that means that's, that's somewhat on us. To say, you know, how do we draw a bigger circle around them? I use that imagery as like, if we isolate ourselves, we have to meet us this way. I think evangelization calls us to draw a bigger circle and include them. The church is a big tent. Archbishop Shelton likes to talk about it that way. He says the church is a big tent. And, and we got to keep make sure the tent's big enough to keep everybody in it, as opposed to saying only this small piece is the church. Yeah, I, it's... I think you're right that um, that that there 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 are a lot of reasons for hope. Something that's coming to mind when you you said you know that kind of is a painful topic. Something that I've just reflected on recently um, that I that I notice in sort of the grandparents um, uh, in our churches is there's this grief of their their kids and their grandkids yes. being away from yes. the church. Yes. And um, I, I don't even know what I'm saying here, but, but just like, has there been, has there been a place to, to, to grieve hmm. that, um, 
I, I, when I go and speak to the seniors groups, I was the youth minister. Um, I, I was going to make a joke about being a Brian the youth <laughs> minister. Right, I wonder right. if I'll be the chancellor one day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is that the only no, qualification? No, no, not, exactly. not after that, Jeff. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, at Margaret Mary, I would yeah, go to the yeah, seniors yeah. groups, and there was just this pervasive discouragement. And I would always yes. try to encourage them that your your prayers um, – but, but I – I, this is only a recent thought again. I have not thought through it very well, but I wonder if, if is the first stage that we need to like just grieve a little bit what what has been lost so that we can then look forward. Does that make sense? Like I feel like some people are trapped can, looking backwards. I can, I, can, I, can I ask you to think about it through the lens of the Paschal Mystery? Please. I don't think this works unless we can think of life, death, resurrection. And, and we're in a period now, right now that feels very death, if you would, if you take the imagery there. Jesus taught, but Jesus had to die to produce new life. And I, I, we're going, we're being, we're being shaped. I don't know, I, I, I don't have the eyes of God. I can only tell you my observation is we're in a, we're in a, 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 a slope down experience right now. Yeah, people do grieve. Uh, um, but the 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 the, the, the cr- Good Friday without Easter Sunday is pretty depressing. <laughs> and my faith in the not just the cross, my faith is in the resurrection. Amen. And I still think that's I still think we're being shaped for a time of renewal. But right now, you know, I, this, I want to tell you something because the the saddest things I've ever had to do are related to the losses in the church. Um, losses of parishes, loss of people who are those members. But um, frankly, walking through the, the, with the archdiocese through the abuse crisis was the toughest days in my life. Um, let's, let's sit in this sadness for a second. Okay. We need to do another segment. Okay. I think, um, I think that'd be a great topic for a third segment. And then, um, and then we can also get to, to the hope. And cause I know you, I know you have, we want to get to the resurrection with you as well. So, uh, let's, uh, let's pause there and, uh, we'll be back with more from Dr. Brian Reynolds just after this. Hey everyone, another sponsor for today's episode is the Cathedral of the Assumption in the heart of downtown Louisville, Kentucky. It is the spiritual center of parish and family life and is a historic treasure for the Catholic Church in America. Take a tour or consider visiting for Mass. Check them out at cathedraloftheassumption.org. Welcome back to Spirit and Spire. We're here with Dr. Brian Reynolds today. And uh, we were just talking about some of the challenges that Dr. Reynolds has experienced during his time as chancellor, which tied in uh, very providentially in a, in a Godwin kind of way to the question that we had planned for the third segment. So I'm going to turn it over to Mr. John Soul for his question here. Thank you, Brian. And uh, thank you, Dr. Reynolds, for being here. Sure, it's John. a great gift. Um, and you've known me, sir, for quite a while. Long time. Long time. <laughs> um, I was uh, a kid. Uh, actually, I was born the year you came to Louisville in 1990. Okay. That was so, so. the spring uh, that you were meeting with Archbishop. Yep. I was in the womb. So yeah, a few years uh, later, uh, my parish school closed mm-hmm. in 1993 from mm-hmm. a lot of debt that had accrued over that 15-year period of time. And, and uh, in 1995, the church uh, almost closed, and there was this incredible um, 
I don't know how to describe it, just movement of the spirit of all these people, you know, calling and asking and praying for a, a, a hearing to be able to state our case. And somehow by the miracle of God, we were able to remain open and things like that. And, and uh, I share, and then of course, a year and a half later, we burned down. <laughs> and of course, these guys are going to laugh about that, but it was no, a trauma at the time. It's terrible. Terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. No, we, we're not laughing at the church burning down. I know, I know. You just know me. <laughs> I mean, here I was six years old, and I'll never forget the, and I've, I've said it like this in different talks and stuff I've given, but I, I'll never forget the silence as I stared past the police tape into yeah, the yeah. skeleton of my parish home. Yeah, and yeah, one of my yeah. best friends from that time, my childhood, I remember he was just screaming, crying inconsolably. Nobody could stop him. And I, I've never forgotten the intensity of those days and the pain of that. Uh, and a lot of the negativity. I mean, you want to sure, talk about sure, death. Like, sure. gosh, that was yeah. like it forged into my being. That was the same year that we had that the horrible flood that hit a couple months later. Um, and the tornado had hit six months before that. So it was just it was, all of it was that. Like the Old Testament coming to life. <laughs> it really was. And my dad was turning 40 years like what's going on but um i just felt this intense um like how how did god preserve us how how did we get there and and maybe i'll share more of that when we get to the maybe resurrection of all this but but with perhaps that experience and maybe other experiences uh of darkness like what were some of your difficult times you experienced. Maybe St. Luke was one of them um, among others, but uh, can you speak well, to some of that? Yeah, I, I think the, the t two toughest stories I have in my 30 plus years serving here. One is is when you try to walk um, an organization as complex as the archdiocese through organizational planning, because people, People want to see it through their own experience, uh, and and having to ask questions about efficiencies or effectiveness or how do we do these things, you know, and um, uh, in a way that is staying true to the mission of the church, true to the gospel, but also some practical realities of things. So, yeah, uh, twice in my 30 plus years, we went through times to reduce the number of parishes, and that's a painful process. Uh, the 1995 story is the one you're referring to, and um, people like your your dear mom and dad, John, who, who led the process to, to have St. Luke's not be on a list to be closed. Um, I would stand back and say, there's no such thing as a good way to close a parish. Um, <laughs> But there are times where you have to ask the question, um, how do we support this many facilities? Mm -hmm. And if the only person is happy about having this many facilities is the electric company, something's wrong with that. And, you know, and populations move and, and you know, and to try to meet the change of population, same with closing of a school, same kind of issues. So um, I, I believe that the, if you have to organize um, our structures, People don't even like that word in the church. You have to organize structures. You you have to ask some of those pretty uh, practical questions about efficiencies and structures and staffing and and it's and it's uh, it's 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 a sad reality that that there's a, that there's a, there are real live uh, limits that that facilities and peoples and, and structures have. So the parish organizations now in '95. 
we made some mistakes. We, you know, we was going to close about 18 parishes. We ended up not closing 18. We closed about 12. We became, in 2005, we did a different process. This time we asked the people of the diocese to figure this out. We said, if, if, if you, if we know these facts are going to happen, we're going to keep growing here and shrinking there. And this number of priests, you tell us what we should do. And, and, some very creative people came together. So on the Dixie Highway corridor in our diocese, five churches came together and started St. Peter the Apostle. Mm -hmm. Not that they were happy to lose their other churches, but they built it themselves. Same with St. Bernadette, the two parishes in, in, in the East Far East End came together. It wasn't just closing things in the urban core, but even in these other areas of the diocese. So what we learned is turn the question of even structure when you can turn that over to the people that's the resurrection side of the story but the most painful st stories i always start with is reorganizing parishes is pain people love their churches um people uh, people love jesus and they love the blessed mother and they love their sacraments but they get real attached to their church facilities too and that's very hard loss the other most painful thing I started to mention before we took our break, which was uh, walking with the diocese through the uh, terrific, ugly pain, sin, and, and immorality of child abuse, um, where people who work for the church, oftentimes priests, as the story in our diocese goes, abuse children. I can't explain why, why an adult would hurt a child, but uh, unfortunately we came to understand that, that that, that happened. Uh, it happened way too many times. No one time is good, but way too many times have people even thought about this. Um, those, those were some tough uh, times dealing with, with the men and women. Um, we had close to 300 cases in the archdiocese and around the world, a hundred dozen, I don't know how many around the whole world, but, but, but uh, tens of thousands in this country when you put it all together, children who were hurt by some work for the church. And the types of abuse is wide and it doesn't matter. I've come to learn uh, this, uh, many things I've learned in that process, but is when you hear one case of abuse, you've only heard one case of abuse because they're not all the same. You can't say this is what they all are. They're not all this. You, one, one perpetrator is not the same. They're all different. Um, it was the most difficult times. I did, a, we're here doing a little media thing here, but. In uh, 2001, 2002, I did 750 media interviews. Wow. Um, uh, they followed me around, uh, uh, showed up at my house, and uh, all sorts of things. I'm so it, sorry. So <laughs> it was an amazing, amazing process. They People left um, pictures of eyeballs in my mailbox saying, we're watching you. Mm. Uh, uh, because I was, the, I was the voice of it. I wasn't, there was many people working on it, but I was the front picture on this. So. So you had a lot of tough stuff. But when we get to the resurrection, I have some stories to tell you about that, as even that. But, and, and to this day, uh, so I, I grieve deeply for those men and women who are hurt, particularly by someone who they put their trust in. Mm -hmm. And I think um, parental abuse of a child is, is obviously horrific. Uh, and that's probably the worst. But when someone like a priest or a person of the faith who people put their trust in, they almost like they feel like God did this to them yeah. when they were abused. Walking down those processes were tough, tough days. Um, uh, uh, so those are the two toughest stories I have is parish planning, which sounds so 
you know, or so theoretical, practical, businessy, which is true. But then the real reality of um, helping people, I'll stand on this, even though people will not agree with me. I'll stand on, I'm glad we quickly tried to address it with both education and prevention. To this day, we're the largest training program in the state of Kentucky to prevent child abuse. But we also use a great deal of our economic resources and people deserved financial support for the pain they had gone through. They knew and we knew at the end of the day, money doesn't change the pain they experienced. But it was a very practical way to show people, you're right, our resources should be turned over to you. If your house was taken away or your lives was hurt because of a, a storm, we wouldn't have a problem using our money for that. So mm -hmm. let's use it for people whose lives were turned upside down because of abuse. Yeah. What, that's a long, heavy story, but those are the two experiences. Well, yeah. what did you lean on during those times? What What was your prayer life oh, like? How, what was you How'd know? How'd you get through it? Yeah. What's What's the personal side of, um, you know, well, navigating my, that? Obviously, that's not something you yeah. can really. No, that needs for. a lot. No, no, no. You can't. <laughs> I, I can tell you. I can tell you that I, I can't compare my pain for the pain that men and women went through who were abused. Mm -hmm. I just know that for me, it was spending. Um, uh, enough time trying to keep my eye on the need to respond. We have to help them. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that when people are angry and hurt, that's not what they're experiencing. They're angry and hurt at you. I didn't abuse anybody, but they can. You can feel it because you're the public mm -hmm. voice of this. You get, you get the, um, you get some of the critique. I don't blame them. Uh, uh, they, they, they had horrific experiences. Um, and I'm glad that we used our resources. I hated the fact that we used most of our financial resources. This is in 2002. Um, but they deserved it. And it took a long time for us to rebuild. We had to lay off lots of employees. We had to shut down a lot of things. Um, but that's not because of the victims. It's because they were victims. Uh, they don't deserve blame for asking for help. Help us uh, now, moving toward toward resurrection. What maybe you you mentioned? Maybe you had maybe some stories in this sense of. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 I'm sure I, they're sensitive. Oh, they're sensitive so. stories. Yeah, and I, I sure. I, but I'll, <laughs> I can I can tell you about a couple. I could a couple of cases. I had a person who received a financial settlement because they were abused by someone who worked for the church. And about a week later, they came to the chancery, asked to see me, and handed me a check. He says, oh, I, I want to tithe back. And took money that had been given to him to help him heal, and immediately said, I'd like to tithe this back to support Catholic Charities. <laughs> Talk about being dumbfounded and stopped mm -hmm. in your tracks. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I know of a, of a person who was uh, desperately abused, who, who ended up working for the church after all of this. Um, uh, but the pain that she had gone through was more pain than I could ever imagine when she was a small child. Um, I can tell you about uh, uh, people who, who um, uh, uh, have worked so hard to prevent abuse now. So it's almost like anyone, any, uh, like you hear people go through recovery programs 
if they can turn that around and use it for others. And so there are a lot of them out there who do great things every day to, to, to make sure that their experience isn't someone else's mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel this deep ache for people who've gone through abuse or, uh, yeah. and a lot of it's fueled by things like addiction to pornography, yeah. add addiction to drugs and alcohol, things like yeah. that, that, you know, it's all about self-medicating deep wounds that maybe these abusers themselves sustained when they were younger and Sometimes. it's generational chains. Right. And I, I think there's a temptation in the church, in the world to, you know, sink into this feeling of despair, hopelessness, where it will only get worse. And so we have a tendency, like for instance, after September 11th, everybody was glued to their TV screen for days, weeks, months, and it can become traumatizing when your entire worldview is shaped by something that awful. And uh, I think we all can sometimes fall into the uh, idea of paying attention to the headlines that only seem to get worse, the hashtags and sound bites that always seem to be twisted and distorted to somebody else's agenda, right? Mm -hmm. And I have found a great solace and consolation in the church, uh, not by all the headlines that we're discussing that we have to address, but more by some of the themes of like, the world meeting of families, uh, that I've been to World Youth Day, uh, that other, like uh, the ecumenical councils or the synods, when the church chooses themes for these things or, or scripture quotes, I have felt that that perhaps is maybe something more to pay attention to. Like as the church prays, so does she believe. So if we wanna have hope and to have faith and to have love again, uh, I wonder how paying attention to those things could could pull us out of this muck, maybe on some level, lead us through the death into the resurrection. And so my next question for you, I mean, if we, if, if we can address this and maybe you can touch on, you know, other pains that maybe we need to touch on before moving forward, but um, where have you encountered people where they have actually experienced that kind of healing that they are longing for, the, the conversion, the, the love, uh, and where do you find hope? through some of these experiences, even if it starts out dark. Hmm. Your, 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 your words stir me, John, your, your whole description there of, of the process of, 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 of it's almost the conversion stories themselves talking about the, the mm -hmm. difficulties people go through. Um, I don't have a clear answer to your question about, about, um, an example. I will tell you that, that what I have experienced is that, God's love is more powerful than all of this. Mm -hmm. And when um, uh, there's, uh, when we think we, when we think we're in charge or we think we're controlling it is when we're most naive <laughs> and we need to, we need to, we need to have. So you asked before, how did I go through this processes? I, I wouldn't compare my difficulties to others, but I will tell you personally, I got through it because I, I have a great fall on my knees belief in in Jesus's presence in my life and that, that that it's not about me it's about helping uh people uh uh move towards healing and healing happens in lots of different ways you know sometimes it happens because someone is feels a sense of of a uh, of, uh, acknowledged mm -hmm. uh you've got it you know you, you you're um 
your your work. You know, I, I I'm you, you're better evangelist three of you than I'll ever be. But I'll tell you that I do know that if you build relationships with people, that that's in those relationships in that encounter that you can have an opportunity to help them heal because they feel attended to, they feel responded to, they feel validated. So the process of moving towards healing and hope is to to believe people who is pain, believe the pain of what are people experiencing if they're losing a parish, or if someone loses a spouse or a loved one to death. Every loss, um, people need to be heard, that they're, they're acknowledged, that and not compared to other people's pain mine is real and let and, and acknowledge that so the, the having building relationships with people so they can so some of the people not all of them who i think they'll 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 always be hurt by the church and what the church did or did not do or wrote i think sometimes the church did things wrong sometimes did it right i think sometimes it's by sin of omission and sometimes commission as they say but my I think is when you, um, uh, but if you validate that their experience is real, uh, and some of the people who've been victimized, and even some people who lost their parish in the parish closing, have become friends of mine. These are people whose real lives have been touched, um, even though you've been through the <laughs> the bottom the bottom of things. Um, so so. Uh, 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 I guess for me, it's one of uh, remembering that it's it's in God's hands, not in a silly, meek spirituality, but in a convincing way that this is in God's hands and we're instruments. And mm-hmm. we need to give people, be um, acknowledge people, build relationships with people, because that's where their experiences are validated. You know, I have to share this with you. Um, yeah, as you say that, it just pierces my heart because, you know, I've known you forever, but I've never gotten to know you. (laughs) Um, And uh, to the ability to be heard, acknowledged and validated, it's like what I, what I went through in my parish was very, very painful. Sure, sure, yeah. And it's, I'm 31 years old now and uh, it still affects me and my family and my parish. And uh, it's taken many years to even get to this point to even feel confident to have hope and be positive about yep. some of those experiences. Yep. Yep. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll show you. I'll share with you this because uh, by 2005, uh, after miraculously rebuilding, witnessing that in the great jubilee year 2000, and and I have a feeling that if we had not, if we had burned down after the abuse scandal, we would have never rebuilt. Would I probably be right on that? Um, some of those, who knows? But yet, it's like to me a miracle of timing that God had. And uh, you know, our pastor got—he experienced a lot of depression and passed away um, shortly after that in 2007. And um, and by that time, I was graduating high school, 2008, nine, and I was like, I just, I got to get out of here. Got to mm-hmm. get away from all this. Mm-hmm. And it's like God met, led me to Western Kentucky University, where I met an incredible chaplain, and he brought on an awesome campus minister who helped us start a pro-life group, men's and women's groups, Bible studies, all kinds of awesome things. And one day, she was saying that she was going to lead a group to World Youth Day in Madrid, and uh, it was cost $3,600, and I was like, 
there's no way I can pay that. And a couple weeks later, she came back and said, well, it'll only be 2,500 everybody. And after mass, I walked up to her and said, Mary, this is crazy. It's not possible. And she said, John, do you want to go? And I was like, well, yeah, it'd be awesome because I'd never been on an airplane before. And she said, well, if you believe the Holy Spirit is calling you to go, (laughs) trust that he'll lead you there. And so I took the last $5 bill I had in my wallet and I didn't have a job at the time. And I just put it in the collection basket there. And uh, by the grace of God, she guided me through the process of asking and talking to my parish and uh, my parish council approved a $500 scholarship, right? I mean, the day before the first deposit was due, they allowed me to speak uh, in front of the parish that Easter Sunday and then ask for money. It not only paid for my way to Madrid, but the following uh, time uh, I was able to do the same process for Rio de Janeiro, Brazil to send me and my brother between St. Luke, St. Rita, and St. Athanasius. And then because of that, I ended up becoming a youth minister to serve those three parishes for several years, where I led a group to World Youth Day in Poland during the Year of Mercy, where Michael Schultz and some other young people, Fermin Luna, got to go. And that was a miracle. And then I was able to help because of your graces and all of what we did with Panama to send a contingency with Carl Dolson to World Youth Day in Panama, and Brian was there. (laughs) And I look back and I think to myself, Dr. Reynolds, if St. Luke had not been given a chance to be heard during that Archdiocese hearing in 1995 when I was four years old, I wouldn't be married to my wife, who I grew up with at that parish. I wouldn't, I would be a completely different person because I probably never would have gone to World Youth Day. And because of all the temptations and intensity of what was going on during the technological revolution as Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff was coming out and the pressure that was on me in college, I remember, I may have very well lost my entire self and not even be sitting here. And I will say right now, thank you for your faithfulness through all that because I look at the healing of St. Luke as maybe a a symbol, a sign of maybe the healing the whole archdiocese can have concerning the abuse scandal and all the pain that we've gone through. And so I thank you for that. Well, it's it's many people doing many things, but I you're you're very kind. You know, one of my I I when I you asked a minute ago about signs of hope, there's so many. Yeah. Um, your story there is perfect. But there's big ones too. I mean, I still remember standing uh, in the uh, in 2008 when we had our bicentennial year, and we had two experiences as a diocese. One was we had a, a mass at, at the um, baseball stadium. Archbishop Kurtz and about 5,500 of us were there, um, followed by a, a concert with the uh, the um, uh, monarchs, followed by a concert with um, uh, America the long ago music band who was from my era. Um, so we, and we, but I remember standing there and watching this and who would have thought a few years before that we would even have gathered like that. And here we were 5,500 of us at the stadium. So a couple of weeks before that, by the gift of, of Pope Benedict, uh, every diocese was invited to send a contingent to Yankee Stadium to the mass with the Pope. Mm. Uh, and um, we sent 600 of us. Um, I didn't know you could rent a 727, but we sent about uh, we sent about uh, 10 or 12 buses from different sections <laughs> of the diocese. But we also rented a plane because we had wow. to get because we wanted to get some of the retired priests who couldn't have gotten a bus and some of them. So we rented a plane, and that was a fun experience. And um, uh, and and um, Kathy and I were blessed. My wife, uh, we were, we were invited to sit down 
on the floor of the stadium and receive uh, communion from Pope, Pope Benedict. And another experience, I remember looking around and seeing Yankee Stadium filled with, with uh, thousands of people honoring the, uh, our original diocese of Bardstown, you know, who were the first inland diocese, uh, as you've done your history around here, yes. you know, in your program. So uh, Baltimore came first, and then we're the eldest child. Baltimore calls us, calls us the eldest child, eldest daughter, because the original decrees Bargetown came before Boston, so we actually, so, 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 so we like, maybe only two seconds older, but it's technically we're older. So, um, that's hilarious. Uh, but all those, so, it's like twins so, fighting. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Boston, Boston, New York, Boston, York, Philadelphia, and Bargetown. <laughs> but anyway, this point of the series, both those liturgical experiences are examples where I saw the, the, the breadth of, of worship. Um, uh, and and not everybody likes huge worship events. I like them. I, I think they remind us of some some spirit that can happen. We just were blessed here in this diocese. Not to get off this subject, but but the the installation of Archbishop Shelton Fab mm. as our tenth bishop, fifth Archbishop, was a wonderful day here. We, we had yeah. thousands of us gathered, and yeah, it just full awesome. of beautiful energy and music and and ritual and and so. Um, uh, it, you, I keep looking for those things. I thank you for your kind words, but I, but I mostly am grateful because because we have a we have a merciful God who, in spite of ourselves, <laughs> stays with us. That's Amen. right. And on that note, let's uh, let's wrap up that segment, and we'll be right right back with more uh, with Dr. Brian Reynolds on Spirit and Spire. Hey everyone, here at Spirit Inspire, we want to serve our community by highlighting God's work in our parishes schools, and apostolates. We hope to bring renewal and unity between all those in the body of Christ. If you would like a shout out in the next episode of Spirit Inspire, go to spiritinspire.com or email us at spiritinspire at gmail.com. Thanks and God bless. Welcome back to Spirit Inspire. Thank you for being with us thus far. We're here with Brian Reynolds, Chancellor of the Archdiocese of Louisville, and we're so excited to have you, Dr. Reynolds. Thank you for your time thus far. Uh, it's back to me for our fourth segment, okay. and uh, we've... Uh, you call it a cleanup hitter. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yes. Clean yeah. this up. Here you go, Brian. Uh, I was never, never big enough to back clean up, uh, but uh, on a podcast, I can. So, um, so uh, the question is really about... Um, you know, looking forward and, uh, and talking about, uh, you know, we've talked about the archdiocese and the structures. One of the things I'm struck by thus far is, um, you know, the catechism describes the church as hierarchical and charismatic. And one of the images that, that is used is the cross, the up and down and the side to side. And, in a, you know, in reflecting on, on um, some of the interactions with you and John thus far, you know, I'm thinking there was the plan of closing certain parishes. Uh, that was, in my mind, sort of the hierarchical, the structure. And then there was the, the charismatic, and there was John's dad who was <laughs> asking you to, to pray again and see if, uh, see if maybe St. Luke wasn't in the plans that, that year. What a miracle. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I, I have read that thus far as an openness to the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, you can, plan, you, can, you can plan on the hierarchical level, but then sometimes God comes in and he says, well, actually, we're going we're gonna to this this way or we're gonna uh, make this a little bigger this a little smaller um, 
But through this this apparatus and through this structure of the archdiocese, um, where what are you um, looking at from a big picture level as far as bringing bringing the gospel uh, to our city? Um, where are you seeing evangelization happen? Where are you seeing uh, kind of uh, blips on the radar and bridges being built and things like that? I can think of some, but I want to want to start with you. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curve at this one a little bit and okay. say so. I'm gonna do my I got I got one more Godwink for you, okay. <laughs> and that ties in with this because that's the theology that uh, that I operate uh, out of. Um. The most, you've heard me talk about being coming here. You talk about the different things I've done. I've, you've heard some some of the death resurrection, death death stories of being an administrator <laughs> in the Catholic Church as a layperson or anybody. Um, but I got a but the the one of my best God winks was was the birth of my first child. I have two kids. The birth of both of them would be God winks, but 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 the first one I remember specifically, it's 34 years ago, even before I started here. Um, but I didn't know what happens when you have a child to where does your care for that person come from? Mm. And it wasn't until Kevin was born did I get the imagery, and this ties back to your question, believe it or not, of I always use the imagery is, is my heart moved over and created a space that was filled with my love for my son. And I that, that was so real. It was December, I remember December when it happened, December of 87. Um, and, um, and it came back to me about just almost three years ago this week when my son had a son and my grandson, uh, Samuel um, was put, as happens with lots of kids sometimes, put in a, in a, on an incubator and respirator for the first day of his life, and nobody could touch him and pick him up. And I watched my son parent. And I watched him for these three years with my grandson. That process of birth, love, giving new birth to new love. That's what I think evangelization is about and where we are in the church today. See, I tied those two together. <laughs> okay, so my God wing was, was, where does that love come from? And then what? I've never been so moved by watching my son parent. I was just like, wow, look at that. Look at them do that. You know, I'm having fun this. And I, I love the fact he's going to have a teenager someday. I can't wait to watch. And, but anyway. and it's Samuel? Samuel. Is your grandson? Son, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Think of the Is call that, of Samuel. Something to that. Oh my gosh. Um, so, uh, so what I think about when you, to your specific question, what where's the church going? Is the church is going to have to continue the death resurrection process to move over my imagery of the heart, mm. move over to give birth to some new things. I pray that's what Pope Francis's synodal process is doing. Mm. Uh, it's moving people to discover something. We in this diocese, we had, you know, almost 3000 people go through listening sessions and what they loved and we read this material is they didn't all agree 
but they could talk to each other. And some of them said, we never had this conversation with people who I disagreed with before, because we people tend to gather with people they agree with. Yeah. But this was people gathered who didn't agree with each other. And so I, I, the church has to move over to give birth to the new evangelization. That goes back to uh, the great St. John Paul II, of course, the new evangelization from that era. But I think the giving birth to the newness. So if we're in the archdiocese today, I think we're going to give birth to new things. Um, some won't be visible until they appear. Because mm -hmm. I didn't know where that came until my heart moved over mm -hmm. with my son, to do that analogy further. So um, I, think, I think that uh, earlier I talked about the encounter of, of um, uh, relationships. But that relationship should give birth to the encounter with Jesus. You guys are much more in, uh, skilled and knowledgeable evangelization than I am. But I will tell you that I can experience, I've experienced in my life that, that when you encounter people and then do God talk to introduce them to your experience and to your experience of Jesus, that's where evangelization happens. It happens one person to another. So what I'm most hopeful for is the relationships that I hope the church can continue to build, but it's going to be different than just programmatic things. Um, I'm hoping the new types of youth ministry that happens are going to be more relationship building as opposed to event event planning. Yeah. Um, I hope that I hope that that. The, we, the, there's the resurgence of processions and, and adorations and faithful prayer experiences. All of these things are giving people encounters. So, um, Brian, I don't know if I answered where you were going. Down, yeah, you definitely did. Solid. And, and uh, I wanted to follow up to go back to the synod. Um, you know, obviously that's a that's a current event right now. Yeah, sure. Um, that it, I know the I think the country just released its report, and, yep. and yep. you know, like you said, talking about people who disagree with each other. There's going to be a lot of our audience that has different opinions. That's on right. It. Um, but I I can't help but think of you and your experience as a strategic planner. Um, you know, the the at least in my understanding, if you want to develop like a plan and you want to get buy in from a huge group of people, the first thing that you do is you go and listen to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't know if that's what Pope Francis has in mind with all the listening sessions, but I think it is. And and maybe you have... I, yeah. In fact, I was blessed just a week ago um, to be in a national meeting in Washington with about 200 Catholic leaders, including several members of the hierarchical hierarchy. And we were, the first thing we were addressed by was Cardinal Grech, who's the chair head of the Synod, the worldwide synod process. Mm -hmm. he, he couldn't come into town, so he, he came in by Zoom. Uh, we had several cardinals and bishops in the room with us in the, my meeting in Washington, but he came in because he was, he, he was there with the Committee of 35. We're going to try to take the reports. They had 195 country reports already in. Wow. We've never had a synod that had that many countries send reports in. 
from around the world. Wow. He, says, he said, I can't tell you what's in them all because I haven't finished reading them all. Because literally, it's <laughs> his first day they got them in. He, we wow. knew our report. Um, How many countries are in the world? Does anyone know? It's right around 195. That's the number that's in my head, at least. I don't know. Well, anyway, the, I, I can tell you. I can tell you that it's a big. It's a lot. It's a, a lot of. <laughs> that's reports. a huge percentage. And, I mean, that's got to be. They never had. Any, they never had anywhere near that many. They wow. were, and they were. They were talking about it. So, when when, and he he said he thinks this is going to give birth. He said, I'm "Not look." He said, "I'm not. I'm not." looking for it to be a, a wonderful piece of writing that comes out of the Senate. I think things are going to be shifting. He says, he didn't, we're talking, didn't use the word change, he says, shift. We're going to, it's going to evolve because we have to discover that encounter. We just, we just have people to encounter each other mm -hmm. um, through the whole Senate process. So I think that is the point. So the Senate is one of the biggest signs of hope, I really think. Now, there's a lot of people who write this, this stuff in anybody's report, people agree to disagree that's one of the you asked me first segment about the irish characteristics we all disagree <laughs> the nine of us um right now we're blessed to nine of all nine of our siblings are alive and but we don't agree about anything um we all agree with some things with each other anyway back to this topic i think that sure. in the church <laughs> the same kind of thing i think i, I it, it's it's one holy Catholic apostolic, it's not my church, mm -hmm. you know, and let, let God shape this. And I think that's going to happen. And if people who politicize and say, well, I don't know if I agree with this pope or that, I think they're missing the point. The point is we have a, a God who is shaping us. Mm -hmm. uh, and through the, um, the uh, successor of St. Peter, it will give birth to the next thing. Mm -hmm. uh, back to my birth story again. Uh, so I, I, I think... I want to see the encounter um, continue because I think I think the church's healing and growth will come from those encounters. I agree, and I, and I think that you know I think social media has has made us has forced us to rethink about what yes. the public square looks yeah. like yes. and uh, and how do we be in dialogue with people. You know, we're in a very polarized time, and uh, you know, my uh, I was at the barber shop the other day, and and. Uh, We've talked about mayoral candidates and where, where the conversation started. I thought we were we agreed on who we were going to vote for, and then uh, and then the lady cutting my hair said she was voting for the other person, and I had a moment of like, you know, like is she, is, what's she going to do to my hair? Like, um, but then, uh, but that was the worst part of me. That was the temptation. But, but we have uh, we we have become unable to have good. There's there's there's. Not only is there poor public discourse, you can't even have private conversation now that doesn't yeah. talk, divide us. Yeah. And, and, and that's, a, that's a skill we need to develop better, to, to really listen, to encounter with people, hear their story, validate. You don't have to agree with them. Validate that mm. they have their own sense of things. Yeah, sure. You know, you might not agree with them. And validating doesn't mean approve. Validate means recognize. That's a, that is a point of view. That is your view. You can one of the things, worst thing you can say to somebody, I think, is the phrase, and we all say it all the time, oh, don't feel that way. Oh, okay. you can't tell a person not to feel what they mm -hmm. feel. That's how they feel. So let that, but then then call them to whatever's next. Mm -hmm. So so I... I, I or I, move your heart over and let something, over. because maybe you're the yeah. wrong one, right? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Very good, very good. What is, uh, what is Archbishop? Uh, he says uh, that anytime he encounters someone, and... I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this, but that's okay. Uh, anytime he encounters someone, he he leaves the option that his heart or his mind can be changed. Mm -hmm. yeah, that he lets yeah. them know. Doesn't mean that it will. 
But um, that that option is still there. And uh, I think so many times I see it um, with myself, but but friends and loved ones where um, you everybody's going into the conversation and nobody has that option. There's not they're not there's not any type of openness. It's a willing and teachable spirit. Mm -hmm. Just open heart to whatever God. I mean, no matter how many doctorates, PhDs or certification that we might have, we're still children at heart and how do we remain open to being taught even by someone who doesn't have that experience that's the truth or even if they i, I don't know it's like well, some of the greatest saints god's ever raised up were children and or right. were childlike or you know so i think a lot of times those lessons about god are in in those people how right how else um, do you find common ground i'm sure I'm, I'm also struck uh you know to connect a couple of things we've said uh one you know that we now have uh, mass in eight languages, right, and, right. and then I know that I know that maybe quarterly there's another one, and, oh, yeah, all and the monthly sessions. there's another one. So there's there's even more languages than that if we're not just counting weekly. Um, but also, Pope Francis has been um, appointing cardinals from all over the world. I think the the cardinal electors are um, you know come from more countries. That to your point of like yeah. all that like this universal participation, um, you know. That stuff gets me really excited, um, you know, because we went to World Youth Day, as John said, in 2019, and, and um, I'm kind of getting, uh, uh, collecting people's information to maybe lead a trip. Uh, like, yeah, I passed the baton. Uh, <laughs> He's good. taking it. I'm for, excited. With Holy Angels, but, but one of the things, one of the biggest takeaways, or one of the things that stood out to me the most on that trip was uh, an African cardinal and i don't remember his name i could look it up but um but uh i i want to take the credit i don't remember if i asked this question or not i think i did but someone asked the question uh what could the american church learn from the african church and um and he talked about that in africa like faith isn't an option like that you need faith to survive in africa (laughs) he was like in america you guys are so comfortable um, that uh, you know that you've got your needs taken care of. You got enough food. You got enough health care. You got enough. Like we, like if if someone gets sick, like we have to pray for a miracle that they'll be healed because that's the only option sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and he also said and 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 because of that, you guys waste so much. He said the thing that he was most struck by when he came to America was how much food we waste. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I've always, um, uh, that, that changed me and I still waste a lot of food, but, I, but, I, I, <laughs> but not as much. And, I, and I try to think about it, but, but that, that international perspective is, um, is just invaluable. And so, so having so many communities, uh, in Louisville, uh, having the mass in their language. We're parishioners at St. Rita and our synod session was awesome. We did uh, one in uh, English and one in Spanish. Spanish, And then we came together in the church and uh, Father Mike and um, and another lady translated for the other uh, language speakers, um, you know, what, what was said. And, and then we did sort of a little um, conversation time together as well. And the lessons from those, um, those conversations were great. And, and everybody in the parish recognized that, that there were like sort of competing communities at St. Rita there, you know, that there wasn't as much unity as both communities wanted, but that, that, that chance to enter into dialogue 
all of a sudden it's on the table. And, you know, I don't know how much has changed in the wake of it in the short term, but at least it's on the table. Sure. That anytime, yeah. uh, you know, one of the English speakers that was there, they call them Anglos. My wife's Asian. She says, am I Anglo? Or uh, <laughs> she's, yes. uh, I, I told her, I think it's Anglophone, not uh, Anglo-Saxon right, or something right, like right, that. Right. Um, so, uh, but, um, but anytime, you know, anytime I see a Hispanic person that I, that I saw at one of those things, like I know on some level we're on the same page yeah. and that we, uh, that we're moving toward the same goal and we want, um, you, we want uh, the same things out of our parish and we want community and unity and all that stuff. So. Well, it comes, you know, there's a, one of my favorite lines from the Second Vatican Council is where it refers to encounter coming from people's um, acknowledging their greatest joys and deepest sorrows. And it's both. And, and so that's, that's, that's why the imagery that we talked before about the Paschal mystery, the life, death, resurrection, that's all you need to preach about is what Jesus taught, the cross and then the resurrection. There's a wonderful preacher uh, um, who's a Baptist preacher who I, I know somewhat, and um, I, one of his good his Good Friday sermons just repeated over and over again. Um, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, and <laughs> and, uh, and I remember thinking that, and and so so whether it be the synod or other th experiences in the church or, or podcasts like yours. Um, where the, the, the church is being shaped and we, we, we may be going through some greatest joys and deepest sorrows, but if people can share their greatest joys and deepest sorrows, that encounter will bring them, I believe, to Jesus. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing some of your joys and sufferings with us. Now, you happen to be the first uh, guest that we've had on that uh, that has his own podcast, yeah, right? And I think when Eric said that to you, you said, "Well, it's actually the Archdiocese that has a podcast, and you host it." But That's right. either way, you've got what's new in Arch Lou, and I've been listening. The sound is fantastic. Like I feel like if you. Uh, after your retirement, want to go on NPR and introduce classical music? Uh, <laughs> you, uh, you've got the voice yes, for it. So, yes. um, I have a face for radio. <laughs> no, that's not what I said. <laughs> What gave birth to that was actually Archbishop Kurtz. For years, I was his um, counter in the conversations with Archbishop Kurtz's television show. And we knew when Archbishop Shelton was arriving to, to not want to repeat that because those were conversations with Archbishop Kurtz. And rather than, let's do something different. So we, we used the podcast since that seemed to be the growing medium out there these days. And so um, somehow, uh, since I was the, used to being the one who would be the counter the facilitator of Archbishop Kurtz's conversations, I would do this. And so we've had um, Archbishop Shelton on twice. We just did a just tape last week, um, uh, another one, and, and uh, more is coming with different things. So the idea of the podcast is, is titled What's New in Arch Lou, so people hear about what's new. Now, yeah. we have we have one of the, the highest award-winning Catholic newspapers in the country mm -hmm. in the record. Yeah. People, newspapers, people love to hate newspapers. But, but, but the fact of the matter is, the, the Society of Professional Journalists, not just Catholic Press Association, both award the record for its quality. Because wow. lots, of, lots of church uh, periodicals are not having the kind of stories and topics and themes and all that in there that's in the record. 
Um, I say that only because I, the people need to be communicated with. So whether it be the newspaper, whether it be podcasts, whether it be radio or TV, this is really important to communicate. That's mm -hmm. yeah. um, how, how the good news gets passed along. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's what's new at Arch Lewis. Going to introduce people to the names of places. We are the luckiest. We have the best staff in the United States. My, one of the things I'm most proud of here is being able to convene and get uh, the best department heads in their various fields are, are the department heads in our agencies. Wonderful people um, that are just top, top notch in their fields, but also uh, committed men and women to the work of this local church. So that we're going to highlight some of them in the podcast. And some of these events that are going on, the people are, uh, you know, we're, we're about to move into the, the Eucharistic revival yes. scene. Wow. And we just, episode uh, on yeah, the, that's right. Like, and, point people so, and um, that's, I, I have to tell you, that's good. That's uh, down the road. And it, it culminates in, in, um, in 2024 with a Eucharistic Congress mm -hmm. in Indianapolis. We learned today. First, year, first time you're going to hear us. So I'm going to announce it on here, not on my podcast. Well, we better release this episode soon. Norm, tomorrow. Normally we have a buffer. So. <laughs> They're going to do a national Eucharistic procession to Indianapolis from all corners of the country. And the procession is going to come through Louisville. One of, one of them is going to come from different parts here. <laughs> and when it comes in here, like they used to do the torch for the Yeah, that's for, exactly yeah, what I thought okay, of. This is going to process That is a great idea. And pick it up here. That just um, gave me chills. Um, wow. So, so today we, just, we got approached on it over the weekend. Archbishop uh, called me and he said, ask Dr. Shadow, Dr. Karen Shadow, if she would be our contact for that. So when it comes through town, we'll have to host some of the people at our homes yeah. as they continue the procession through. Some can join it on their way to Indianapolis. Um, so uh, a whole nother podcast on the yeah. journey, yeah. Uh, imagery wow. and journey. Amen. But that's, you, can, you had it here first. That's awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you. Well, hopefully this episode comes out while we still have it here first. We'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> Seems unlikely. But uh, Dr. Reynolds, where, uh, we give our, our guests a chance to kind of say, where can we find you? Where, where would people find what's new in Archlu? Um, would you like to direct people to any websites or any yeah, further thank, resources? Well, first, let me start by thanking you three for what you're doing, because you're already spreading the good news. And I'm, I'm pleased to be invited to be here. Uh, I always want to point people in a couple of directions. One is I want to point them to the record. If they, all you have to do, it's absolutely free to them. If they register in a church, they're going to get the record. Mm -hmm. And so, and now it's coming out in, in language with Spanish as well, oh, and different things. That, so, cool. and, but the record is also, if you're not a newspaper reader or don't want to join the parish, lots of Catholics don't these days, even though they're faithful people. So tune in, to, uh, line up with our, our social media, the, um, Archlu.org is our webpage, www.archlu.org. But on there, you can find the record in both a digital form. Um, so we have a Twitter feed, a Facebook feed, and I can't even tell you all the social media names because I don't know them all. <laughs> but we're out there, and I see people ought to follow those kinds of things you're going to hear, hear a lot about. Many of our parishes have feeds now. Mm -hmm. Our high schools have feeds now. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you can't keep up with them all. So <laughs> right. find out what you, where you're going to get some, and find more than one, because you're going to hear the breadth of that. So um, uh, I, I encourage people to, to stay in touch with, uh, stay in touch with the local mediums like this wonderful podcast. Um, and, and remember that, that uh, God speaks through these opportunities. So don't follow me, follow archlu.org. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Thank, thank, you. thank you all. Thank, thank you all. It's been a pleasure. Same. <laughs>
And thanks to you for tuning in, for uh, watching, listening to Spirit and Spire. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you again to Dr. Brian Reynolds for being with us. If you'd like to communicate with the show, you can write us at spiritandspire at aol.com. Uh, we like to think we're the only podcast with an at aol.com email address. And you can find us on all the... Uh, <laughs> that was intentional. <laughs> That's an Eric Huff original right there. Um, you can also find us on all the, uh, the regular social media platforms. We do ask that you like, subscribe, and share. Uh, each one of those boosts us in the all-powerful algorithm. Uh, not nearly as all-powerful all as our eternal God, of course. Thank you all for watching and have a great day. Good night. God bless.